I'm Dr. Nicole Byers, clinical psychologist and brain health expert, and you're listening to The Bold Life Podcast, the podcast for working moms who are feeling stressed out and overwhelmed trying to do it all. As a working mom with big career dreams, I know what it's like to not have enough time in the day and to lack the skills and confidence to reach your goals. I have spent years understanding how our brains work and learning what holds us back from having the courage to reach our dreams. Each week, I'll be sharing practical strategies to help you find more time in your day, build your confidence, fight back against mom guilt, and reach your goals. If you want to learn how to thrive both at home and at work, you're in the right place. Hello, and welcome to the Bold Life Podcast. Today, we're joined by Dr. Sean Hondorp to talk about unhelpful diet beliefs and how we can shift our mindset to feel more confident and in control when it comes to food. Dr. Sean is a board-certified clinical health psychologist living with her family in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She got her PhD in clinical psychology from Drexel University in Philadelphia, and her expertise is helping women master their relationship with food and focus on their most important dreams and goals. She has a blog and podcast called Motivation Made Easy, Body Respect, True Health, and you can get more information on her online program, The Body Respect Program, Reclaim Your Relationship with Food, and Create Empowered Sustainable Change, and snag some free resources at drshawnhondorp.com. Welcome, Sean. Thank you so much, Nicole. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you today. I'm excited to have you on the show as well. So maybe if you can kick us off and tell us a little bit about what got you interested in working in this area. Yeah, I feel like this is a a long story, but I will, I won't tell, I'll tell the short version. So I, um, I, I love, you know, I've always kind of been interested in everything, eating, health, nutrition, and I was kind of lucky in that I went to college and I was like, kind of set that as my, my focus right away. So I went to Michigan State and I got involved with kind of all of the intersection of those fields, right? Nutrition, health, psychology, and and kind of how this all makes sense. But looking back, I think there was definitely a, a personal interest there as well, if we're being fully honest. And I've continued to be more open about my personal experiences on my podcast and things like that, because I think there's so much shame surrounding eating and weight struggles. And it's incredibly common. And I've found that to be incredibly unhelpful. So um, yeah, basically, I got involved with research early on. And I love research. I love the idea that we can design studies that try to identify truth and figure out what is true and not true about these concepts, but um, I've really been able to get into the field of uh, kind of improving relationship with food. I work with people across all weight spectrums, so um, people that struggle with their relationship with food across a variety of weights, but I've had relatively more experience in um, people in larger bodies, um, people that are interested in weight loss, but usually when they work with me, we kind of talk about like well, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and um, help them to find something that's sustainable, feeling more in control of their habits, all of that. So, Fantastic. So, you know, weight and body image aren't super my areas of expertise. I did a very small rotation many years ago as a resident in a bariatric surgery clinic. And I know I learned a lot from my supervisor there. And I know there are a lot of unhelpful beliefs that we have when it comes to dieting and weight culture. And can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, there's 
a, a million unhelpful beliefs. I think the way that <laughs> yeah, we approach that. it, basically, um, I've said for years that we're doing a terrible job at helping people lose weight and keep it off. But I think that there's a lot. I, I think the most helpful, unhelpful belief is just this idea that dieting works or that weight loss works long term. It may work short term, right? And I think a lot of people have had experience with like, well, I did, you know, record my calories or I did Weight Watchers and my weight went down. So it does work. And it's like, well, certainly it can. And, and I think also it depends on how much weight we're talking to. So this myth of sort of like, well, I lost 20 pounds and I kept it off. So like, why can't this person lose more weight and keep it off? I think we overestimate the individual's behavior change ability and underestimate the impact of biology. And then dieting and what I talk about as the diet mentality is almost always external motivation. And so there's what I often talk about is in the podcast is this theory of motivation. There's really different types of motivation. And so this idea that we're motivated or unmotivated is very much a myth. And so what we want to do is understand what External motivation is often should-based motivation, shame-based motivation, all-or-nothing thinking usually falls into that, and um, that really can impair our ability to build autonomous change. And autonomous change is just feeling free to make changes that fit you. It tends to be more associated with either I do a behavior because I like it or just because I choose it, it feels like the right choice for me. I can totally see how that would be a struggle for a lot of folks because so much of the messaging that we see is those like should type motivations like you're talking about, right? Like, you know, we see these ads for weight loss commercials and it's talking about size. It's usually size, right? And like fitting into certain dresses or like looking a certain way. And I even think like, I actually used to love those weight loss shows years ago. One of them was called The Biggest Loser. It's, it's from a long time ago. I don't know if they still have it, but like they took it, down. it was pretty remarkable to watch those. Yeah. Those transformations, but you're right. A lot, like it was all about weight, right? Like all, like they stepped on the scale every week and that was how they judged their success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I watched that show too, interestingly, in, in grad school. And like looking back, it's a, a perfect example of how we're, we almost like sensationalize weight loss. And we, we certainly prize it as like the best thing ever. We prize willpower as being so important. And it's just we, we don't talk enough about the fact that like, first of all, doing that can be really harmful for our psychological well-being, our your health, that weight cycling. And the, the people, they studied the people in Biggest Loser and they almost all regained their weight, not because they're failures or they didn't have willpower because of their biology. And we don't talk about that enough. And it's incredibly frustrating and unhelpful. <laughs> Yeah. And like you said, then we get into this pattern of feeling really bad about ourselves, right? And I know that that's a struggle for a lot of us is like, okay, maybe we do lose weight for a little bit and then we rebound or sometimes even gain even more, right? After these really rapid diet plans that we try and that can be so frustrating and discouraging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I've, I've see over and over just people continuing to kind of lose faith in themselves and feeling one of the key psychological needs for long-term habit change is a feeling of competence. And yet the way that we set people up to fixate on the number on the scale 
usually moves them away from health, not towards it, and usually makes them feel increasing like an incompetent human being, which is just not true. But that's the message that you're given. If you're not doing it right, then something's wrong with you. It's not the diet plan. It was you just messed up. And and that's, I do, I did a lot of work in bariatric surgery and um, working with people that were looking at surgery. And so many of them were like, well, clearly I failed. Look at me, Sean. Right. And I'm like, that's just, not true. And yet that's very much a belief that they've internalized that the society gives them. Right. Yeah. I know we talk about that a lot on this podcast about that, that shame and how we feel like a failure. And then we take these mistakes and times we mess up and then, like you said, really internalize it. And then it becomes, I'm a failure, not just I messed up and I gained weight again. This didn't work for me, but you know, I'm not good enough. And then all those beliefs just really escalate from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, what's been interesting for me is uh, I talk about motivation and internal external. And I used to tell people, I'd be like, it's no form of motivation is bad. We just want to make sure you have internal because that's associated with long-term change. And what I've noticed is that diet mentality is almost ex- almost always external motivation. And it's almost like a, a string that keeps holding people down. And that was certainly the case for me. It was like, until I finally like clipped that final string of like, okay, I'm not going to worry about the number on the scale. Then I had this like true sort of aha moment of like feeling free and feeling like, oh, this actually just like the system is messed up. And so um, I, I've started to talk more openly about my personal journey because I think like it's it's all the relationship with food is super complex. So my journey is not other people's journeys, but Yet I wasn't doing anything super extreme. I was doing like, I never ate less than 1200 calories. I never skipped meals. My relationship with exercise was pretty healthy. Like I wasn't really doing like, I think some people would think, oh, you had a disordered relationship with food and you probably were like really restricting. And I I was doing what people told said was healthy. Right. I did Weight Watchers. And, uh, and yet a lot of times, not always, but that sets people up for failure. And sometimes when I've worked with people, they're like, I didn't develop binge eating till like way l- later. And, and people don't always develop binge eating, but it can be still this all encompassing thing where they just feel like an incompetent person. <laughs> and it's not true. I really like that point you made that like, we don't have to be like super disordered when we think of like traditional disordered eating to be struggling with our relationship with food. Because I, I think a lot of us feel like, well, I'm still getting by, like I'm still doing okay. I'm still healthy. I'm still like a normal weight. So I must be okay. But those beliefs can still really hold us back. Is that right? Totally. And I think that that's, um, I was just on an, I was having another conversation recently about this idea of like, should psychologists who have a history of disordered eating be like, be allowed to, to help people. And clearly I have strong opinions about that, but (laughs) yeah. I almost think, you know, in the past, I've, I've said I've been in the binge diet cycle and I would have met criteria, certainly at times for binge eating disorder. And there's many times that I wouldn't have uh, or that I would have like had some what's subjective binge eating where you're not eating a lot, but you feel sort of guilty and out of control or emotional eating. And now that I'm very much at peace with food, like I don't stress about it. I don't worry about it at all. Like arguably I have a healthier relationship with food than some people that are just like doing normal dieting and doing sort of like what our culture tells us is healthy. And yet they're really stressed about it and they're really not listening to their body and they're really feeling out of control. But that's again, sort of a problem with a broader system, which is again, sort of the one of the reasons I've been sharing more. Cause I'm like, 
the way we approach this is incredibly messed up. <laughs> so let's um, right. perhaps think of it in a different way and perhaps think about like, there's a problem with the societal pressure. There's a problem with the way we're approaching this in combination. It's creating arguably many, many more folks. A lot of the people I work with have like eating disorder, not otherwise specified. So they don't even have like, they don't meet criteria for binge eating or they don't meet criteria for a specific eating disorder like bulimia, but, and some of them do, but, but many of them don't. And it's like, again, that's to me an indication that um, we're missing the mark because some of these people are quite distressed and, and like you said, really caught up in, in really holding themselves back from certain things that perhaps they would be doing if they sort of in their mind, it's if I lose weight, I will do it. But really, it comes down to like this society tells you, you need to wait till you're a certain weight to be confident enough to go out and pursue your dreams or put yourself out there on the internet or something. Right, right. And that that brings me to another question I wanted to get your perspective on. One of the things we talk a lot on this podcast about is how we spend a lot of our time stressing about what other people think and how, you know, we're constantly worrying how others might interpret our actions or what they think about us or worried that people are, you know, upset at us or might not like us. And do you feel like that kind of outward perception and stress plays a big role in some of these beliefs about food and body? I do. Um, I think that, again, because our, our worth is so tied up with our weight for many people. And again, I don't think it's just people that struggle with a diagnosable eating disorder, or even just what I mentioned, someone who might come for help. I think that it's normative. And I think that even people that don't see it as a problem at all are going to be feeling that way. And it's holding us back in many, many ways. Yeah, I can think even like myself with this past year, and I haven't been as active as I normally am. And that like, you know, COVID weight is starting to to creep up a little bit. And there's definitely been times where I'm like, you know, I don't feel great about myself today, or I'm spending more time looking in the mirror, or I'm like, you know, eating when I'm not feeling like I'm really hungry, but I'm just like eating because I'm stressed and I'm, I'm bored. And so, you know, I'm sure that that range of normal is so common for so many of us. It's been very interesting that um, as I've had the podcast, right, I've been sharing it with like some personal folks that I know. And I, I hear more and more of these stories of people that I know that I never knew they struggled, right? And and frankly, when I was struggling, very few people knew. I wasn't hiding it per se, but it's just like not something we talk about that much. Yeah. Um, and Yet, yes, I see and seeing it a lot too in the past year because there is it is pretty common for people to have some weight gain. And what do we do when we gain weight? Well, the immediate response is, well, I need to go on a diet. And maybe you don't use right. that word, but um, in fact, my mother in law said that to me several weeks ago. She's been listening to more of my content now, so she knows that she doesn't need a diet. And certainly, she's someone who's really never worried about her weight, but she's just gained a little bit of weight. And she's like, I gotta gotta avoid these foods. Like that is our initial response. I gotta not this, not this. And it's this restrictive mindset and it hundred percent backfires for most of us, even whether or not that really causes a lot of distress or just a little distress, it's still stress we do not need. And instead of going like, I need to go on a diet, just saying, and this is kind of how I approach it now. Like I just like anyone eat more or gain some weight and I don't focus on it very much, but I don't stress about it. I'm just like, 
usually I also don't feel as good at those times. Right. So I'm just like, Oh, okay. I'm just going to like continue to like get, feel as good in my body as soon as possible. And usually for me, that's like, all right, I'll like drink a little bit more water and go to bed a little bit earlier and maybe go out for a walk. But it's very much a different approach than I used to to have. I know you mentioned already that something you talk about a lot is shifting our thoughts from the shoulds around foods to more internal motivation, more of that want to change. Can you talk a bit more about that and how we do that? Yeah, definitely. So I like to shift from again, just first, I think we have to look at like, where are the shits coming from? Where are those rules coming from? Most of the time, they are not coming from your experiences with food. They're coming from rules that you've learned, that you've heard, that you've internalized, right? And so first of all, we just kind of need to acknowledge that. Next, we need to say, okay, but if you're like, no, I really do feel really great when I eat a sandwich and soup for lunch or whatever, whatever choice you, you feel like when I eat this way, I feel good throughout my day. So then you want to kind of look at like, the question is, how am I going to, how do I want to feel at the end of my day? Or how do I want to feel over time is a great question. Humans are motivated by feelings, not by logical thoughts. <laughs> and right. but a lot of times we like to like, logically think it through. And then we get so frustrated with ourselves, like, why am I not doing this? And it's because we're not really attending to our bodies in a respectful way. And we're not really thinking about like how we're going to feel. So I um, have been on my podcast, I've been starting to ask people like, what's something you feel autonomous motivation for, which is just that like internal motivation. And how did they get there? And they almost always talk about like, well, I've Maybe there's something that you did avoid doing or that caused you. A lot of times for people that have a history of a chronic dieting, they feel really stressed about making decisions about food. So I think it's important to like not avoid. And, you know, sometimes that is if you really struggle with your relationship with food, get support and go to a therapist and talk through it or just at least talk it out with someone who gets it. So not avoiding, but then not, you know, noticing that all or nothing approach, being able to kind of push through that avoidance and say, let's, let's not worry about being perfect, but how do I want to feel even just an hour after eating? Or how do I want to feel throughout my day? The goal is shifting from I should do it to I want to eat in a, and move in a way that helps me to feel energized throughout my day. I want to fuel my most important goals versus be detracted from them because I'm feeling like weighed down or just like tired from whatever I'm eating. Very internal based. But for most people, if the diet mentality is really strong, you we have to uncouple that and we have to un, like take away that layer, which can take some work. Right. That's really interesting. So I haven't really thought about my own food intake that way, but I have been thinking a lot about my energy recently. And I've been talking actually a lot on the podcast about how like certain activities that I do give me energy and some of them drain my energy and about you know how to organize my day. Like I have some work tasks that like I have to do them, but they drain my energy, but I got to get them done. Then I have these other tasks that fuel my energy. And so that makes sense in terms of what we're putting into our body too, right? That like, if I really reflect on like, okay, I'm sitting here eating like a bunch of goldfish crackers right now before we jumped on this podcast, like, yes, I'm probably not going to feel as great later today versus like if I'd found some carrots at home or something. And so that focus on energy really makes sense for me. I like that. Yeah. Cause then it feels like something you're doing either. I always say it's either cause you want to, or I've also shifted to like, sometimes it's just cause you choose to, right? Like sometimes we're like, 
no, I really don't want to go on a walk, but I choose it. And then eventually you feel better. Right. So it, it doesn't always have to be, I've, I've asked that question too, of like, um, intrinsic motivation is you do it because you want to, but there's other types that are autonomous too, which is just more value-based motivation. So it doesn't always have to be that you want to, but it can be really much more motivating. And the more we can make like eating and exercise, there's a lot of decisions that we make about Mm -hmm. that. So I always say like self-control and willpower are great to do your taxes and they're great to like do those hard work tests that you hate. Right. But like if you're doing like, fighting tooth and nail to make every healthy eating and exercise choice. Like how on earth is that going to work? How do we expect ourselves to use the people that you see that you think have willpower are not fighting to make those decisions. They've, they probably do it because it's consistent with their identity or they feel better doing that, but they hopefully have removed the shame about it. Maybe not. Sometimes it is shame driven that people do that, but a lot of times they're not finding it horribly exhausting (laughs) to do whatever they're doing. That totally makes sense, right? If we think about our brain resources and I only have so many resources that I can use. And if I'm using up all this energy just to have that willpower around food and thinking about food all the time and the guilt and the shame and all of that, like, holy man, is that using up a ton of mental energy? It's so much. And I'm like, now that I don't have that, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can have all these. Well, not now that I have kids, I don't have a lot of hobbies, but I used to. (laughs) I had like, I could do hobbies. I could do this. I could do that. Like the world is my oyster. (laughs) Yeah. I know you mentioned that one thing we need to do as well is kind of uncouple from that diet mentality. And I can imagine that is tough to do. I think about, you know, a few people in my life, they're kind of chronic dieters and some of the the beliefs they have about food. And like a lot of it is stuff we get from, I'm guessing the food industry, right? Like I remember I had this um, dietitian colleague that was talking to me years ago about kind of the anti-fat movement in that was at the 90s or whatever, and about how the sugar industry really took advantage of that by starting to pump our foods full of sugar instead of fat. And I still know people in my life, like um, family members who were like, will not eat fat on anything. So I'm probably rambling here, but like, how do we start to do that? How do we start to uncouple from this, especially when we're getting all these messages all the time, right? Right. It's, it's so tough. I mean, I think, yes, there's um, the, I would say the weight loss industry is very invested in us thinking, first of all, they want to confuse us about nutrition because then we think we need all these plans and all these like different guidance. And don't get me wrong. Like there are some aspects of nutrition that are not like super simple, right? Like I'm still always learning, but it's, they, the industry is invested in us getting this idea that we are not okay as we are. We need to be thinner to be healthy and happy. And we need their specific plan, right? Because it's a super profitable industry. So I think just being, I guess the first step is just acknowledging and noticing like what brings up the diet mentality and then trying to the extent that you can control your inputs of social media, um, of what are you consuming? Who are you around? Um, and what are they talking about? Right. We can't always control that, but we can certainly ask people to stop talking about foods as good or bad. I think the good news is like the way we want to talk about this is like the same across adults and kids. Like we don't have to like tailor it. And I think it's also the same of like people, I've worked in eating disorders and weight management. Like, I think the way we talk about this is actually kind of similar across all people. So that's the good news. But getting people to shift 
that's harder. And I think you have to express like, Hey, I've noticed that when, when you say this, it makes me feel judged or bad about certain things about my relationship with food. Would you mind not saying that? And people may or may not abide. Right. (laughs) But, but I think just asking for that and yeah, you know, some people have circles that are more like some people that I've worked with, they have like a lot of friends who've just been on a whole bunch of diets and that's like what they talk about. And so it can be actually like socially normative and, and feel like almost like you're the outcast if you ask for something else. So I I think it's important to acknowledge that um, easier said than done, but like, we're all so much more than like diet talk and what we eat. And there's, we have more important, interesting things to say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, I really like that strategy. That's a great point to keep in mind. I know I was thinking while you were telling that, that I had a friend tell me a while ago that she went to visit some family members who have always had some disordered beliefs about food. And she was there for a weekend and she's like, honestly, Nicole, like all they talked about all weekend was food. And like, none of them are overweight. Like they're very fit and healthy, but it was like, every conversation was about food and what they were eating and what they weren't eating. And she's like, and she came back feeling stressed about food, right? Like didn't yeah. go in there feeling anxious, but like after being surrounded by that and it's just it's just what they talk about all the time and how much that can weigh on us and and impact how we're feeling day to day. Oh yeah. It it's so um I mean we're social creatures and we're so influenced by the the talk around us and the language around us and it's can be very common to to talk about these things in this way and yet yeah, even like I mean, I have a lot of people that I'll that I work with one on one who will challenge like this idea of like healthy and not healthy, and I'm like, they're like, but this isn't healthy, Sean. I'm like, well, I mean, who says like a, I don't know what's a good example? Like a cupcake is not healthy. Like there's no right. nutrition in it, and it's like, well, actually, food is more than just fuel. And to say like like that absolutely can par- be part of a super healthy eating pattern and a super healthy relationship with food. So arguably it is very healthy, right? It's just, we take it like in each individual behavior and we almost feel like we need to label it as bad. And I think that's diet industry influence, but why do we have to label it at all? So it's same, same, same thing with kids, right? I, so I, I don't actually work with kids, but I have kids and I talk to my kids right. about food, right? And like, I very much try to avoid restriction. I, I approach my kids the same way I do with myself, which is like, I don't try to restrict myself. I don't try to restrict them, but I try to set us up for success and like mostly have healthy stuff around. Right. And I mean, I just use the word healthy, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, why do we have to say like, that's good for you and that's bad for you. Like, why don't we just eat our food and enjoy it? (laughs) We just have to like categorize it. I wonder if you've had this experience with any of the folks you work with, but I can imagine that when you start to talk to folks about stopping restricting themselves, that causes a lot of fear. And I'm guessing a lot of the fear is like, well, Sean, like if I stop restricting these foods, like I'm going to gain a ton of weight. Do you, do you have to deal with that a lot? Oh, yeah. All the time. Yeah. And it's, I, I usually talk to people about, so like when we think about the goal of improving your relationship with food, there's concepts like mindful eating or intuitive eating that are much more internally based versus external. And it depends on the person, right? But sometimes they're like, I, I really can put weight loss on the back burner. I can like just not focus on it. And I just want to have a healthier relationship with food. I think what we know about restriction is that it causes for many people that binge eating, whether it's full binge eating or subjective binge eating, which is just feeling out of control, but maybe you had like 
one or two cookies, not a lot of food, right? But you feel guilt about it. And what's really fascinating is like the more we take away restriction, the more people improve their relationship with food and reduce binge eating. But that said, they may not lose weight. And so what I, the approach I take is like full, full autonomy and choice. Like we can take the direction you want to take, but this like restriction approach or restriction, like it's hard to do calorie counting without restriction. It's possible. It's just for most people that have been on a bunch of diets, it's going to bring that men- that feeling up. And so I think like the people I work with are definitely like, they usually come to me because they're more interested in the end game. And so they usually get it. But yeah, this idea of a lot of people, there's such a lack of trust, but we have to look at like, where does that lack of trust come from? And a lot of times there's beliefs like, well, look at me, I'm um, binge eating, I'm out of control. And it's like, well, that's actually not necessarily true. The restriction 100% can be causing that. And it probably is. Right. Super interesting. So I know you have an online program. Where can folks more learn more about you? How can they get involved in your training? Tell us about that. Yeah. So I'm super excited. As you know, I'm mid, right in the middle of um, really putting everything together for the Body Respect program. So I'm really excited about it. We have a great group of folks that are going to go through the, the first cohort of it. And the best place to probably find information about me is my website that you mentioned, drshawnhondorp.com. I also have um, a free resource that I figured I would mention that I think your listeners might be interested in, which is this 10-minute guided audio where it's designed to be a walk where you listen to it. There's fun music. It kind of walks you through how to turn into your inward, kind of listen to your body, appreciate your body as you're going on this walk. It's, it's very fun. Um, and so if people are like, want more of the information of like, how do I do this? How do I shift from external? It kind of encourages you to like, what are some of your goals? Let's not focus on weight loss, but how do you want to sort of feel in your body and how can exercise help with that? So if if people are interested in that, they can go to drhondorp.com forward slash reclaim and that um, they can find that free resource there. But my actual website and all the information about the program is drshawnhondorp.com. So I know it's two separate websites. Thank you. I'll put those links in the show notes as well. So folks can click on them to find them. Sounds good. Well, Sean, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. It was fun. All right, everyone. That's a wrap. I'm Dr. Nicole Byers, and you're listening to the Bold Life Podcast. Mm-hmm.